പോളണ്ടിൽ എന്ത് സംഭവിച്ചു പോളണ്ടിനെ പറ്റി നീ ഒരക്ഷരം മിണ്ടരുത് We're back with another episode, and this time a theme episode um, around the subject of parenting. Yeah, um, and we, we chose the parenting, but, you know, as I was going through these movies, I, it, in some ways it ended up, um, you know, that we, we chose movies that were about parenting, but about the role of parents and, you know, other adults in in a kid's life you know i in my opinion um adults and parents have a big role in how kids um in the lens through which kids see the world so so we ended up kind of choosing movies that have mostly to do with how kids view the world even though the theme is kind of parenthood but i think in broad terms if if you know if we look at parenting as how children are raised from birth to young adulthood how children are supported not only by parents but by by other adults in a community how children's physical emotional social intellectual well-being is taken care of not only by their parents i mean it's a it can be a really broad topic yeah it takes a village yeah for sure that that's kind of what i came away with like the group of movies we we saw is that it's basically about the adults who raise the children to who are basically parenting the children or raising the children in in a, in a big community yeah and i was looking at it from things in you know as well from like parenting styles so traditionally you're looking at things like authoritative parents authoritarian parents permissive parents and uninvolved parents and i think we see all of those stripes across the four films so let's just list out the films that we're going to talk about today yeah uh, we are going to talk about soft mango tree papayra sandam apus Manjarikuru and Mutamu Chodengo, or 101 Chodengo. You can say 101 Chodengo. <laughs> 101 questions. Okay, 101 questions. <laughs> um, which one would you like to start with? Maybe we can t- start with the oldest one, Papayra Sandam Apus. Okay, which is uh, Papa's own Apus. So we already we already have in the title this idea that this child is supposed to be precious to this father. Let me try and, and, and sum up briefly. Um, it's about a father who has lost his wife. The father is Mamuti, and the, the dead wife is Shobana, which I think is a really good choice if you're going to have someone in this small role to represent someone very precious to both this father and son. She, she's there to make the impact, and she does. But she has passed away, and the son, Apu, is now in boarding school. His father is in business, and he's busy, and he's working. And, you know, he's, you know, an example of a of a of an absent parent if we're looking at parenting styles and it's how the the two of them really have to navigate the grief they're both feeling and the loss they're both feeling in this situation yeah um i was thinking that of all of these movies this felt like a very um i felt like the the 
crux of the story, that, that struggle of the child who's been left alone felt very Western to me in some ways. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's uh, one parent is gone and, you know, the other parent is struggling to connect with the child. It, it, it's a very, um, it's a very Western concept of, you know, recognizing the child's individuality and, and helping that, helping the child recognize his own, you know, sort of trauma and loss. Um, and obviously then the movie later flips into like the dad realizing that the child might, he might lose the child too and we're trying to center that child in his life again. I, I do think the year it came out, 1992, is important because, you know, we're talking about liberalization in India and um, and the concept of that kind of childhood being, you know, that, that kind of very modern, possibly Western concept of childhood being introduced to to India. And, and uh, I mean, you know, it's not like Malayalis or Indians weren't exposed to the concept of, you know, the the kind of childhood we think about now prior to liberalization but um this era of movies maybe struggling with or 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 you know kind of tackling that issue of of a child as more than an extension of a parent but as as you know an individual in their own right um and someone who is allowed to be troublesome because he he has gone through a loss himself. So I, I thought that, that that was interesting. And, you know, I, I watched this movie as a very young child and I didn't really recognize that, you know, I think I just, the things I remember from childhood about this movie were Shobana. <laughs> and, and I thought it was funny, the, the things the kid was up to. So, so it is, it's kind of funny to watch this movie through an adult's eyes now. Well, and it, and it is interesting that everyone seems kind of perplexed by his behavior where I'm looking at it with that lens of, of course he's lived through this trauma. I mean, and, and we, we understand that Mamuti's father character was just as neglectful before the death of his wife, because she's, you know, there, there's a, there's a scene where she reminds him he needs to be home at 6 PM to, to take the child, the baby to get vaccinated and he completely forgets about it. So we know this is a pattern of behavior from before her loss. And it just makes the whole situation about for the son, Apu, worse. Because at least, at least you know, prior to that, he had his mother who was devoted to him. I, but I did, I, you know, I just found it interesting that everyone seems very per- perplexed. That's, whereas today, we would look at this child and say, well, of, of course he's acting out. Why would you expect? because he shuffled off to, to boarding school and then he comes home and there's only the servants to look after him and his father forgets when he promises to take him to a movie and you know of course he's going to act out that's you know expected behavior from a child who's being neglected ignored I mean he's not physically neglected he's being you know his physical needs are being taken care of but his certainly his emotional needs are not and you know, Mamuti's character is, you know, I think, you know, he, he Mamuti has, could, can have this image of being a very patriarchal kind of figure um, in Malayalam movies, like the head of a family, that type of thing. And to a certain extent, he is some of that, but he's also a fairly indulgent father. He's, he's not, uh, he's not a, 
authoritarian father at all. He's or he's not like kids should be uh, seen and not heard type of father. He's just he's just very casually neglectful. He's he's very uh, you know the, which is the reason why he he hires a, a nanny for him is is because he he's very indulgent and he wants him to be entertained and amused and but he just doesn't want to deal with the deeper emotions the child might be feeling and and that is um sort of at the crux of you know him coming to see the child for being a whole person who's gone through something traumatic yeah and like for for me it's this is kind of the the other side of the coin from author authoritarian you're very indulgent you're very permissive but it's not recognizing that your child needs structure and has certain emotional needs that need some structure and boundaries around them as well. And that only a parent can really fill that. Um, like, it, you, it can't be supplemented by having servants. Well, I mean, it, I suppose, well, and the, the one servant is, I'm trying to figure out how to describe his behavior because he's not, he's not instructing he's just constantly telling Apu that what he's doing is wrong and that he's naughty and it's like there's no yes he needs those kind of boundaries to know when his behavior is unacceptable but just telling him he's a bad naughty kid for that is not giving him any idea of why he needs to behave for sure that, I mean that serving character is obviously there to be, be like the worst example of it older <laughs> just like a kid he's bad but not explaining why what he's doing is bad and and i think um and i think he that character specifically comes from the kid should be seen and not heard mentality yeah well and it's it was fascinating to me too that when apu is injured it takes a long time for them to figure out how he ended up with his injury because he ends up with a skull fracture to be honest, at first I, I I thought, oh, because there's a scene where where Mamuti's character finally wallops the kid for something, and I think, is that going to be it? Is this going to be like, you know, the 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 terrible abuse at the at the hand of his own father? And then it turns out, no, it's not. It's you know, the moment they got involved with a scuffle with the nanny's brother, which you know is hardly better, but it's still like you, you, your child was obviously hurt and. You had no clue, even even to say, oh, you were, you know, you were thrown during this fight with the with the brother of the nanny, and are you okay? It was a very convenient plot point. It didn't really make sense <laughs> in terms of like what a parent would actually do if their child got was like involved in a scuffle or you know had were was hit in the middle of a scuffle. I mean, it is a very convenient plot point. And, you know, coming back to that, like, nanny thing, it's another reason why this felt very Western to me, that this, you know, like, the idea of, like, a nanny coming in and, like, bringing the family together is, like, a very common, like, we uh, you know, Western plot point. And, you know, we have that in Mary Poppins. We have this in a whole bunch of Disney movies um, that I watched growing up. So, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, it felt very, very... Um, of that moment in time when when we had these ideas coming into um, Indian and Malayalam cinema. Well, there's also this this little thing at the beginning which made me very uncomfortable. Um, the nanny is supposed to be 16, and she turns out to be older. But there's this whole 
sexual thing going on with the nanny, which again, that feels Western to me. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess that, you know, anywhere that you have household servants or help of any kind, there's the, the risk of having someone in power in the household abusing that relationship. It, it doesn't happen here, but there's certainly, the nanny is, is at, right at the beginning, is certainly seen as a temptation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, when she says at the beginning that she's 16, there's this like, noise like i think that like suggests that like we are not supposed to believe her and none of them believe her because they're looking at her and they're like that's a grown woman and yeah like she's you know uh, uh, like there's like a focus on her body and like stuff like that and and, like she she like calls him like she talks in this like very like seductive voice to him uh to the father and calls him like Papa, which like think about like a kid, a kid uh, like a, wo- a grown woman calling a grown man daddy in like <laughs> that's like the equivalent of it. And and it, yeah, I didn't know what to make of it. It, it like made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't remember the, that part from when I was a kid. Okay, so. <laughs> the things you pick up on as an adult are so different and. I, I think, you know, at 16, um, like the movie, like when Sayesh Bobby's character suggests, well, somebody around like 14, 16 would be good. I was like, I was like, who is, like, you want a 16 year old to like raise your child? And like, I guess that kind of makes sense in India at that time because technically you finish high school in 10th grade where, where you're 15. So like, technically you would be like 16 to, to take a job with a high school um, education in India, but it, it, yeah, the whole age dynamic like was a little wonky until they clarified that she's actually twenty-two. Yeah, I know, but even at twenty-two, <laughs> she's still a bit young for dad. But at least she's respectably. Yeah, she's definitely like she's definitely an adult at the by the uh, you know by the time she's getting to working with the kid. Yeah, just in case anybody goes to watch the film, we understand this is a moment that is uncomfortable. But uh, but fortunately, it never goes any further than that. I mean, I do think the movie's a little bit aware in, like, the way they, like, kind of go, bang, 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 when she's at 16. <laughs> it's like, they're like, that's not what 16-year-olds look like. Yeah, it's a little bit self-aware, but also, you know, it's uh, playing on the sex appeal of um, the actress, who is not somebody I've seen before. No, me either. And 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 once again, it, it comes down to, you know, Shobana in that small role makes much more of an impact. Exactly. The only thing I remember from this movie uh, before I watched it again is is that is Shobana. I didn't even... <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't even pick up on the fact that there was like a whole other woman involved in this movie. So uh, uh, yeah, this is a very um, this is a very of its age era movie. And actually, the w- one interesting point about this now in in twenty twenty one is that this is a Fazal movie. So both his kids, Fahad and Fahad, oh, yes. uh, make appearances in the movie. Yeah, I actually shared a screen cap on Twitter because, you know, Twitter has been all about Fafa. (laughs) So I I, I, I screen capped the the, uh, Fahad 
who is, I mean, you can tell who he is. It's very obvious um, which kid he is. Um, and my, my Twitter comment was some, something like, you can never get away from Fahad. Yep, I just saw your comment right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially what, uh, yeah, that, that was a really funny scene. Um, only because all the kids and the adults came out to see what all the ruckus was. <laughs> After uh, Apu drops the glasses on the ground. I mean, and I could sympathize a lot with Apu. Um, I mean, not, not that I would approve of, you know, tossing the tray of glasses, but I can I can really sympathize with his frustration that leads to that because dad promised me the movie and dad forgot and dad threw a party and I'm supposed to be, you know, happy about this. I, for me, the flashback, like the, the, the outfits and um, the furniture and everything was, you know, if you're a child who was born around the time this movie came out it's for me it's so um it's so full of nostalgia mm. the music the the sodas that they're drinking anyway i got i it was a nice uh walk down memory lane for me so that gives us one angle on parenting in films should we go to salt mango tree next where we have very involved parents <laughs> Or at least one very involved parent, again. Yeah, this is a classic helicopter parenting type situation. So this is um, basically about, uh, this movie, Salt Mango Tree is about the highly competitive private education system in India, um, and Kerala specifically, where you're trying to get your kid into the best English medium, which means English uh, instruction school that you can get into and um, sort of the over-the-top requirements that these schools have for kids to get into them. And and it's basically a rat race for parents. Um, in the U.S., there there is a certain element of that uh, in certain classes. I, I see it most in upper-middle-class families where, where we, you know, there's that sense of, you know, I got to get my kid the best chance they have to at least retain this class status in their in their adult uh, grew up in but um, in india there's just so many more people and there's so many there's so much more pressures you know everything that you know upper middle class parent in the united states might experience it's probably a hundred times worse in india and it's throughout classes it's you know anywhere from lower middle class to upper middle class that you're, you're looking at parents and I would say this family is solid solid middle class they're you know not I think the the dad didn't go to an English medium school is that what is that mentioned yeah he and he he mentioned several times about having gone to a Malayalam middle school and he feels uncomfortable about that as if there was something wrong with that like his education was was not up to the standards needed yeah, and I, I know that um, maybe since the 80s, it's a little bit more standard for Malayalis to, I mean, a middle class Malayalis to send their kids to English medium schools. And the fact that, you know, this man who's must be like, I don't know how, he's, how old he's supposed to be, but we can assume like late 30s, early 40s, that he didn't have the benefit of an English medium education means that he probably grew up in a rural, you know, I mean, he, he grew up in a rural area, but he also grew up in a, um, a less well-off family who couldn't afford a private 
English medium school. So there's a, there's a lot of class elements to this as well. And it's just about parents trying to do their best to give their kids a chance at life, but also maybe recognizing that kids need more than like the right school to get ahead in yeah, and I think that the film explores that really nicely because we have the, the teacher who runs the Shining Stars, which is apparently to help parents and children in this whole placement process. And for for me, it was like this, uh, as we learn later in the film, she she was one of these helicopter mothers and it uh, it took its toll on her own child. And she had to kind of shift her perspective. And... I almost saw the 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 academy or whatever it is that she runs as um, a support for the parents just as much as it is for the children and a reminder for parents that yes this is this system is important to you if you for your children's future because you want a better future but you can't forget how much else your child needs and that is contrasted when they go to to visit the grandparents because the grandfather is all about taking him fishing and teaching him about fishing and the grandmother tells him stories and when they f- at the end when they finally go for the interview the 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 staff doing the interviews tell tell him to speak in Malilam and he tells the story his grandmother told him and he does it in a way that's really animated you can feel that he's made this really strong connection so you know we get this we get this message that yes these things are important, but there are other things equally as important in your child's life. And the parent who is super invested in in getting the child into the most competitive English-speaking school is the mom, who's played by uh, Lakshmi Priya Chandramali, who's an actress we don't see that much in Malayalam. She's, I think she's a Telugu actress, and uh, and this might be one of the few roles I've seen her in. She's very pretty, and she does the job competently but obviously Bijamano and playing the slightly um you know boob dad is is uh you know who grew up in a village and doesn't have as many big aspirations for his son is is obviously the star of the movie he gets you know all the comedic bits this movie is kind of heavily carried on his likability um as a person so I think he would come off as maybe just a kind of not not a not a not a deadbeat dad but somebody who isn't um really focused on like an Indian father is highly focused in a lot of ways on his education maybe um you know that's what I've typically seen with my dad really wanted to get me into Montessori school like nursery school when I was little like for him that was really important because for him he knew that was the way to get ahead for me to get ahead in life dads do a lot of that in India like getting kids into schools working with that but just because you know you know dads have more freedom to navigate the outside world than moms do so the fact that the bigger character isn't interested in all of that he's just kind of interested in getting by and keeping his family like in the place they are right now maybe for him that would like he's already climbed from you know living in the village to to a town uh, to a bigger city so for him he's already achieved what he wants in life um and he doesn't see like that he needs to do 
anything additional for his son. And but his wife is much more the the one who has aspirations for her son. And you know, you see the struggle between what both parents want for their kid. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that the the mom at times comes off looking a bit negative. She's the bad guy in the family because she's so focused. And yet you can understand because she her motivation is to have the best for her child. And this is how she sees having the best. So much so that that she kind of doesn't really look at her child as much as maybe she should until she kind of gets the wake up call at the at the uh, academy. I think a part of that is also because this movie is told so much from Bijamanan's characters. You that you know she can come off as the shrewish wife who's helicopter parenting, but in I don't know objectively speaking, he comes off to me at least he came off as sort of underachieving and her as you know feeling like she has to drag him along to achieve. I agree. What their family could and. I didn't think she came off as negative. I just think she came off as like extremely anxious because she didn't have a partner who was um, who, who was like in this project as much with her as she wanted him to be. Yeah, and that's true. And that's anything he does towards this is is at her pushing as well. He he's another father who forgets. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, I meant to do this. Oh, yeah, I was. You told me to do this. So yeah, and. Uh, Negative is probably not the right word because I could, what I, what I was feeling was the pressure that was on her as well. Yeah, it was a very like classic uh, dynamic of um, where, you know, the wife is doing all the emotional uh, like labor and project management of like getting the family and the kid and the husband's just like, okay, I will do these small tasks as you tell me to do, but I'm not going to have a bigger vision of what uh, our child's future is going to look like. And I think, you know, I think the movie says that's okay, that everybody doesn't need to have, like, a BS stressed about the child's future as the mom is. And, you know, she she needs to take a step back because clearly, like, it's not good for her and her family to feel that much pressure. This movie, I, like, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it because I, I'm, because I, the, the charm of this movie is so much to do with Bijumanan's character, I didn't think it, like, the ultimate message is obviously that a child needs more than just, um, you know, formal education, but I didn't feel as satisfied with, uh, like, I didn't feel like the child's point of view got hurt as much. And he's a sweet kid. He's a sweet kid. He re- I mean, he, he really is. But he's a non-entity compared to like the struggle of the parents and their egos. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved the moments when the film focused on him. But, but you're right. They were, they were few and far between. And so despite what this movie says about a child needing more than uh, just formal education, I feel like this ch- uh, movie didn't quite take... Uh, the child's perspective into consideration. I would have liked to see, I mean, like we get, we get, especially during the grandparents is we kind of, when we get to see the perspective of the child most. But I could really connect with this film if, because I grew up in a family where my parents had elementary school education and on my mother's side, my mother's Ukrainian. So there's always an emphasis on having professionals in the family. And I know that my, 
I am going to say my uncles. They were my mother's cousins, but we called them uncles too because they're a certain age. So my my three uncles were an accountant, um, a lawyer, and I can't remember the third. But you know, one of these, and my, and the uncle who was a lawyer was really not suited to be a lawyer, and spent all his free time. Uh, he loved movies. He had a movie projector and he would he bought his own film. So we it would be a thrill to go over to his house to visit because we'd get to watch movies. But I, I understand those kind of pressures to succeed, to become better. And like for my for my parents, they wanted us to go as far as we could in terms of education so that we could have a better life and less of a struggle than they did. So on some level I can really connect with this film. And that need to make sure that your children's future is better than yours. And and how that can come out negatively, despite all your good intentions. I actually think in a lot of ways, this is probably the most parenthood-centric movie. Uh, I, I Like I mentioned at the beginning, that all these other movies have to do with really focusing on the child's perspective. But this is the only movie where I was like, this is solely about parenthood and, and um, about the adults' anxieties and, and how they view the world. So I guess this is the most theme-based movie ever. <laughs> And, you know, this movie came out in uh, among a bunch of uh, other uh, movies that had Jumin in, in, in these sort of lovable, goof-type movies. Um, and, you know, there was Velimunga, there, there was a couple of others. And so I think this period of his career was all, also probably the best. So, uh, I mean, he's still doing great movies, but, you know, uh, COVID and all, we haven't had a lot of releases from him recently. So if you're a Bijuman and completionist by it, uh, or even a Bijuman and fan, this would definitely be a good movie to check out, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I did, because I was a fan of him for a while. But you're right, it was, it was this period when all of a sudden everyone was looking at his films, which was great because it, you know, here is a really terrific actor who can bring a lot of things to a role. Um, so that, that we need that in a post COVID world too. We need more of him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, except for Akariam, we have, I was thinking that like, we haven't had, you know, when we're talking about Fahad Fossil, especially, we haven't had this kind of lighthearted fare that much coming from, the COVID era, just because it's been so Fahad focused and he's he likes darker roles. But I can completely imagine Fahad doing a role like this. Uh, he would be very good at it. Yeah, we need that. We need that too. Well, I think I said last time I need I need more than thrillers and dark films right now. And I and I am hearing that a lot from people. I mean, it's great. It's great for Malayalam cinema that it managed to navigate COVID in a way that other cinemas didn't. And I think it'll be interesting to, to have, you know, 10 years from now to look back on this period and, and to see how, how Fahad focused it is. I, I just, I think it'll be an interesting look back. So maybe that leads us next to something like 101 Questions. Yeah, which is probably the most critically acclaimed of the movies we have here. Um, it's a very quiet, introspective little film about, um, and and uh, the main uh, character, which is played by the child actor Minon, uh, he, he got a national award for this movie. It's about a child who 
is set a school assignment uh, by his teacher, and um, he he goes about sort of discovering life and the people around him. To be honest, not a lot happens in this movie. <laughs> no, and it's but it's set against the other plot, which is the father who has worked for a long time in this factory who ends up losing his job. So here here we have a family that's that becomes. I don't, I don't know what their status would have been like while the father was working at his factory job, but they become poor very fast. Yes, they're kind of lower middle class, it seems, and it's a very precarious, being lower middle class in any country is a very precarious position where you fall into poor quickly if you lose a income. The assignment, and again, we've got a a bigger name actor here, Indrajit, playing the teacher who gives him the assignment. The teacher has, has been asked to write a book about 101 questions and he assigns this to the child and he, he offers to pay him a rupee per question. It ends up being very important to this child to be able to bring this money home because the family is really struggling. Yeah, and um, I think pro- the reason I remember watching this movie is because uh, it was directed by Siddharth Shiva and at that point we, we had only really known him as an actor well I feel like he was an actor before he was a right he was an actor yeah and I remember like he kind of does did these kind of side roles you know gadfly roles and all those uh movies where you know you just need a cast of characters in a village and like I remember him from those movies and it was interesting that he he was a director and that he got so much critical acclaim for his first film and he kind of i feel like he uh, he's at this point he's had a pretty close working relationship with lena who i also find is a very interesting character uh, actor and she plays uh anil the little boy's uh mother yeah and here again is a mother who's carrying all the stress and anxiety of this situation she she's not unlike the mother in in um, salt mango tree in in some ways. Yeah, I think uh, you know because of the different class statuses and because of the different uh, particular circumstances, this you know this mother has has very different concerns than mother in salt mango tree. But you know we do have that common thread of and in this in this she's much more. I, like I get you, you're saying that in uh, in Salt Mango Tree that she's she can sometimes be antagonistic, but in this, she, you know, we we as the audience are fully sympathetic to her and empathize with her because we see the ways in which she's struggling and we see the ways in which the father is struggling as well with the loss of not just his job but also his identity and his class because he wanted better working conditions. Yeah, and and the the child's name. They, the, the other kids tease him about his name, and I have not written it down. Anilkumar Bukaro. Yeah, and we learn we learn in the film that he's been given his third name, Bukara, is from the name of the factory that the father worked for, and the father's idea is that's that's my symbolic way of saying that I want him to own the factory. I don't want him to be a worker like me and and be subject to the owners i want him to be the owner so again we have parents who want more for their children and who understand that maybe their lives um, are hard but it could be better yeah so i know that this is not a 
this is not a children's film. It's not, it's not, a, in, you know, I can't imagine a child watching this and enjoying it the way I remember watching Papyrus on the Mapus and being entertained by it or, you know, watching Salt Mango Tree and finding it funny. This is, uh, this is a very slow film. It's a very, it's a very um, introspective and, you know, ruminating film, which is, you know, why there's, it has space to ask all these questions. What do you think it has to say about parenthood? I think for me, it's sometimes, as I've mentioned, on one level, parents want better for their children. That's true universally. All parents want the best for their child, even if they're helpless at times to secure their child's future. All parents have dreams and aspirations for their child. This father wants his child to be better than he is, to have a life that's better than his. The mother, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think she's just worried about her children. She has the daughter who is ill and she's constantly having to deal with that. I don't think she's as invested in her son at times simply because she's so overwhelmed. Except when the, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a problem with the school and they can't, they don't have the money to provide a porridge at lunch for the, for the children. And the teacher played by Indrajith knows that it's important for these kids to eat. And he encourages the students who can to bring an extra lunch packet with them so that the other children will have something to eat. And that becomes, because he says it right to the child, this becomes, I have to bring two packets, I have to bring two packets. And the mother, it, it, at first, she's like incredibly upset at this, but she, she provides a packet because she, I mean, we can see that she's listening to her child and she understands what's important to him, even if... She can't always do it. I think these parents are... I found the father really interesting. Like, he seemed to really love his son and be tender with his son in a way that the mother wasn't. I mean, I think that's... that's sp Spoiler alert. I think that when the father dies at the end, that makes it even sadder. And the child himself, his, his final question is related to the death of his father. You know, and he says to the teacher something, the subtitles were terrible, so it may, I may be a little off, but he says to the teacher something like, my father liked me and I liked my father. And his, his final question, spoiler, 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 is why am I not crying? Everyone says I should be crying. Why am I not crying? You know, compared to maybe the, these other films is what I came away with this film is that all parents can do is love their children. You can't. You can't protect them against what the world is going to throw at them. And you can't, and some parents are people too, and they, they are feeble too, and they can't control the world and what happens. And, you know, obviously money plays a huge role in that, obviously. But, the, uh, you know, what the child is learning through asking these questions is, is, the, is the humanness of his own own parents um, and, and however much stress you take on, however much pain you go through, um, you you just cannot end up like, you know, protecting your child from the world is what I got away from this movie. Well, and I think that's also a perspective that as children, we may not realize, but as adults, we can look back at our parents and say, oh, yeah. I get it. And I think that maybe leads into Angeli Menon's film. Yes, I think these two movies are interesting paired together because they are both so child-focused, like, you know, from the child's perspective. 
Oh, I wanted to talk about one actor, Nishan Sagar, who um, I don't know if you uh, you've watched many movies with him, but I was wondering why we don't get more of him in Malayalam films. The first time I remember seeing him was in the movie Joker with that guy we don't talk about, <laughs> and I just you know he's he's so handsome. Mm. He plays the father's friend. The, and the two the two of them are let go from the factory. They're the the sacrificial lambs in the in the uh, in the agreement to take back workers. Yeah, and he, um, I you know I really want to see more of him. I so you know from the '90s and the 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 period, there were so many interesting actors who got small roles in, in the Leeds films who never made it big because I think there was just this this dominance of this one actor um and if you didn't have family connections like Prithviraj does I think it was really hard for some of these more talented actors to break out but if you watch Joker he plays the villain character in this in that movie and he does such a good job um so anybody who wants to check out something else with Nishan Sagar and watch Joker and he was a good character too I mean it was this idea that you know, they were co-workers and they were friends and they looked, I mean, mo- more more he looked out for his friend than the other way around. Oh, no, not, not, not sure either. When when he's accused of being involved some, with some violence by the police, they, the, the, you know, the other family sort of, I mean, they don't give up his whereabouts and they make sure, I mean, you know, that's, that's looking out for him in, in some way too. So it's really nice to see those kind of connections. Yeah, and I think he his character in some ways has the strength that uh, that the the father's character does not have. The father's character has a tremendous amount of tenderness, but he he maybe does not have the strength to hold up his family in this crisis in the way that you know maybe Nishant Sagar's character um, has. And I thought that was also interesting. The you know that it's an interesting take on masculinity. Well, and the father is very thin and very frail. And at one point he says, oh, I, I, I'll do, like, let me come and do this job. And, and his friend says, well, that's a little too physically hard for you, I think. Like he is looking out for him. So yeah, uh, you're right. We've got this dad who's emotionally very lovely, but physically, and you know, doesn't tell his family that he's unwell and doesn't want to worry them. And now I'm going to cry. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it, uh, you know, well, this movie ends up making you as an adult feel in some ways bad that adults can't protect children from everything and that adults are frail in their own way. In a lot of ways, we uh, have fathers in movies being sort of this, the ideal of a father is like this tree that protects and shelters his, his family, but... This father is so incapable of that, but he is so full of love. I really like when we examine fatherhood in that way. I think we, we often make mothers martyrs and we talk about the love of a mother, but it's always interesting to think about the love of a father. And that doesn't involve providing and that doesn't involve being like the big strong man. Yeah, and it's interesting because you, you mentioned it not being a film for children and I agree with that but it is a film that ends up on here are films for kids and I keep going no but it's you know it's this lens of anything that has a child as a central character is a children's film 
if I thought this was a child, I'd have been so sad and I would have cried and cried and cried. I wouldn't have been ready to, like, when it involves, like, when a movie has the parent dying off screen, it's fine. But when a movie has a parent on screen i think it's too hard for children i know and as soon as you see the crowd of people i was like no 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 i know what i know what's going to happen here i was i was already really upset but yes not for children yeah this is not a children's film uh, you know even with the slight uh uh, sexual tension between the father and the nanny and the first in Papyrus on the Mappos. It's still, it's still pretty fun for kids to watch. I remember not ever paying attention to the sexual tension, but to like all the fun aspects of the movie. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, for, for kids, some things that are beyond their ability to grasp and being, I mean, beyond their age, it does go over their head. I saw that as a teacher, like parents would get very worked up about stuff in books. And I would say, if they can't handle it, they'll know, or they they just they'll skim over that and they'll take in the stuff, or they just won't. They'll drop the book, you know. They just we 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 shelter kids far more than we should sometimes. I mean, that's not me saying we should just throw everything at kids, no, but uh, but but kids do handle a lot of things in their own way. Yeah, I mean, I think kids can watch. Like, let's let's move on to the next film because I think it's about, I think the kind of death the child can deal with, uh, in some ways, which is the death of like an older person. Mandarikudu, mm. which is Anjali Menon's debut movie. You know, there's some dispute about what actually the release date of this movie was. 2008 and 2012 are both listed um, because I think what she got a, the movie got a film festival release in 2008 maybe and then got a wider release in 2012 after Ustad Hotel was a big hit and people were curious about her the first movie that she wrote and directed. Yeah, and for me, um, it was, I watched Kerala Cafe, which is the, the compilation of things, and I found her her segment really compelling, and I went to seek her out. So I saw it earlier than Ustad Hotel, but I think you're right. I think that, that was the point where people went. And, and, and in some ways, this is kind of the warm-up film to Bangalore Days, because it touches on a lot of the same ideas from a different perspective and with younger versions of the cousins. Yeah, it's actually, uh, you know, Manjaiku is a, is a more artsy film. Uh, Bangalore Days is such a commercial film. Uh, and the, 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 that's very intentional. Uh, Manjaiku was, I think she was right out of film school or she, um, she was finishing up film school when this movie got funded and um, ready to be made and i think it was self-produced um she you can see um like in the credits there's a lot of um, non-indian names because i think she was using her contacts from film school to um, make this movie while <laughs> bangalore days is like very firm in the malayalam film industry manjarikuri um, kind of stands apart from it a little bit yeah, it's very much more art house f festival circuit film, definitely. Yeah, and that's that's not a negative, but just in case people are seeking it out, know know where it sits. Yes, and because it's set in the eighties, um, is it set in the seventies or eighties? Right up, I saw said the eighties. I was 
I was actually sort of thinking 70s, but then what do I know? The fashion is 70s, but that's because like fashion got uh, to India a decade later that, uh, you know, before before the internet and stuff. So, um, yeah, so this is this film is about a family, a Gulf-based family that comes back to Kerala for the a funeral of uh, a grandparent and they bring their child, um, a little boy, along. And the story is narrated from the perspective of the little boy as an adult. It's, uh, in, in some ways, this movie can feel very, you know, we're watching this in, 2021 but um because it's uh set in the 80s there's it to me it evokes a lot of the feelings of movies from that era as well and i think that's very purposeful anjali man does did say that she grew up with those movies from the 80s and 90s and so she, that is what um she's taking inspiration from well and there's this whole little thread too of the the one the younger couple not quite a couple but they're they're very flirty in the background and it's very filmy there's always a radio playing film music and there's there's one scene where the camera pans and you see the the man first and and it comes forward and she's wearing like sunglasses and a headscarf and it's very old style movie starish so i do i agree with you there's this little thread in there that is very distinctly a call to these old films and just the aesthetics of it as well, that, you know, it's set in this old Taravada, there's um, the Kolam, which is like the pond that's attached to the old ancestral home. The, those are not things that we um, see necessarily too much of in um, generation films, you know, whether you want to call this a new generation film, because technically it was made in um, 2007-ish, and it was only re-released in 2012. But, the, you know, these touchstones of Malayalam cinema, the, uh, these aesthetic touchstones uh, are really prominent in this film because I think it's taking inspiration from movies of that era where it was a lot, it was very common. Well, she did that in Bangalore days too with, with Kutan. Like he was the character that, that represented that old aesthetic. And I think she's kind of poking fun at herself as well uh, with the Kutin character. Um, as much as, you know, she didn't grow up in Kerala. She grew up in the Gulf. But I think, you know, just like me as a Gulf kid, we have a very romanticized idea of Kerala. So I think she's kind of poking fun at her own romanticized idea of Kerala in, uh, through Kutin in Bangalore. And, you know, uh, it kind of makes sense if you see her older film, Manjari Kuru, that, like, She's poking fun at herself and all these um, tropes of Kerala that she's um, she's very attached to. It's a film that deals sort of in the background with a very authoritarian parent style. Um, we don't see Portilikan. We don't see much of him in this film. Like for the first half hour or so, he's a corpse. We we hear his voice at one point. The the, the Vicky the the young boy the golf boy thinks he hears his grandfather's voice and he sort of appears on screen with the grandmother at one point but we 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 get to understand and 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 you can correct me if i'm wrong but f um this is this is as much about caste this family's caste i i'm starting to learn now <laughs> um so this is a father who is very authoritarian and obviously estranged from his children in various ways 
there are two boys and four girls or two sons and four daughters we see how this plays out with the children and their spouses um as they stay they they come for the funeral and the the grandmother insists that the will will be read after the 16 day period of um formalities around the funeral um and it, it and it's clear that all of them are interested in the contents of the will for various reasons and less interested in their ties to the family home, ties to their parents in many ways. Yeah, when I say that, uh, uh, going back to the idea of caste, when I say Anjali Menon is poking fun at herself, I think she's poking fun at the idea of caste too, because these these um, these these mementos of caste, this ancestral home, the pond, these these are things these are things that you know we prize in Malayalam movies uh, or have been held up as things to value and idolize in Malayalam movies. But then, you know, with the thread of the maid, the young girl who works for the family, you know, we, we're getting this this character that isn't often seen in this context in Malayalam movies. And and suddenly she she makes cast visible with that character. Yeah, and and we see it because of her connection to the young cousins. Because, I mean, she's 12 and on some level she's still a child and the children treat her as a child but all of the adults they only see her as a servant and and you're right a servant of a of a particular caste that i mean they they generally mistreat her i mean it could be worse but from the way they talk about her and the way she's accused of having you know done something with the baby i'm trying not to give too much away I mean, everybody who is listening knows that this is going to be spoilers. So, yeah, but it's the 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 children who are the ones who want to find a way to send her back home, and the children who I mean, Vicky gives up his his Kit Kat bars, um, and they find ways to earn the money to get her a bus ticket home. They're the ones, you know. I, I I'm assuming the adults believe she's just run away. I mean, she has, but she's had help from within the family but she gets her revenge revenge sort of in the end it, it my one of my questions was when when they do finally come down to the reading of the will they're all the children are all expecting something and in the end the property is left to the grandmother and and stipulated that when she passes away the youngest daughter would get it so my understanding would be that would be unusual so if in a liar family which is also my family. Um, and it, it depends on what region of Kerala you're from as well. Um, as for, uh, um, I'm from Travancore. We have a very matrilineal system. So it's, it's not unusual for the home to belong to the daughter and like for the daughters to get more uh, because at least in Southern Travancore and Iyer families, men marry out women, uh, men marry out of the family. You see, this is this is why every time we bring up the, the idea of caste for a podcast episode, I go, I don't think I know it. <laughs> yeah, so matri- uh, we, I mean, matrilineality is one of those things that I think my cinema struggles with a little bit because because in um, many 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 parts of Kerala, in most parts of Kerala, in the communities that 
practice matrilineality, uh, which at a certain point in time was much of the Hindu population, uh, much of the Savarna Hindu population, which means the non-Dalit Hindu population. I think um, in the early 20th century onwards, you know, with the onset of uh, the communist movement, as well as sort of westernization attempts, many of the families sort of reorganized to fit a more Western patrilineal form of, of um, kinship. And so, but you still see hints of that in I mean, you still see hints of that in Malayalam movies. You see the remnants of matrilineality in uh, Malayalam movies. And especially in, more, in Malabar, where I think this movie is set, they, they have, um, I don't think they practice matrilineality as much. And so it only comes out in these very specific instances. You know, families are not, what I've heard, what I've read, uh, and in my experience, children do still belong to their mother's families, but there's more of a tradition of a woman marrying in, in Malabar than there is um, in Travancore. In Travancore, where I'm from, men literally leave their the family of origin and they live with their in-laws. That's, that, you know, that's what my, how my uncles have lived all their lives, but I don't think it's that common in Malabar to do that. But when it comes to inheritances, I think women still get more. In their families. In the end, the younger daughter doesn't doesn't get the home though. That that would be very different. Yes, yes. That again, giving it to someone completely outside the family would be very different. Yeah. And it, not only someone from outside the family. Let, let's let's completely spoil it. It's given to the the servant girl. Yes, because she's the one that the grandma loves the best, actually. <laughs> I wish there was a little more of that in the in the film. It, in a way, maybe I'm I'm thinking it should be more like Nandanam, and it, maybe it shouldn't. About how the grandmother and the same actress playing the grandmother, um, being very being very connected to oh, and with Pritvaraj as the grandson. Yeah, <laughs> I I really think this movie um, in like in the way it cast these characters was literally taking tropes and making them real. Um, because Kaviyupanama as a grandmother and Tilagan as a grandfather is literally in like hundreds and hundreds of movies, I feel. And, yeah. and you know, all these characters and Urvashi as the sister, um, there's Pravina. It's just so, like, these cast of characters are so common in these roles and have they played these roles so often and they've been together as an extended family so often that when we're dropped into the setting, it just feels so familiar to us. So I guess my next question would be, what does it, particularly for someone like me, what is it revealing about parenting parents, children, and families? I think it reveals, to me at least, what I found interesting was that, okay, well, the reason, this has a happy ending because it's Anjali Menon, and I don't think she does sad endings. And I, I don't think that's how she prefers to make movies, and I really like that about her filmmaking. Like, I don't think she would want to have an ending like Nuta Mishodino. The reason this has a happy ending is because of who the director is. But before we see the ending, what I took away from it is that childhood, to me, uh, it seemed, is a privilege that these parents afforded to only a privileged few. And we start see that in Papyrus on the Mapus too. Like it's the it's the 
emergence of the idea of childhood as a separate, unique part of an individual's life. In this movie, which is set in the 80s, so it's reflecting some of those ideas, is that a 12-year-old Dalit girl is not afforded a childhood because she has to work. And she's just a cog in the machine. And only the children recognize the fact that she's a child because they're afforded childhood and they're treated like children. So they expect other people to treat her like a child and they don't understand why she has to work and she has to, she ha she has to stop playing with them. So I thought that was the core point of this, that childhood is only afforded to a select few or was in the 80s. Yeah, I think unfortunately, there is we we do see some of that i mean we see i mean even here in the west if you come from a family that's poor and struggling you're more likely even if you finish high school which you may not you're more likely to go out and work your childhood might be different you might have more of a childhood but it will end sooner or your responsibilities your adult responsibilities will hit sooner I mean, I look at, again, my own parents, that's that's not a current generation, but it's a Western generation. And my parents were out working at 13, 14, 15, which, you know, which makes you understand why they valued education and valued something better for their own children. I would also say um, in, in the U.S. that we have a lot of evidence to suggest, you know, we're, of unconscious biases and stuff, and that black children are often con like considered to be adults at much, much earlier ages. You know, we talk about Tamir Rice being threatening with his with his toy gun. It's because they didn't see him fundamentally as a child. And that is, you know, there, there's a concept in America that the way Black Americans exist in this society is much more like caste than race. And, and I mean, not that those concepts are unrelated but it's much more similar to the way the caste system exists in india and so the, you can almost make direct parallels that um not being able to see a child someone of a young age as a child makes them much more liable to exploitation of not being afforded the protections of childhood because we consider children a protected class in a lot of ways and so when you take away the mantle of childhood from them that then it means that they they are open to be exploited they're open to being more more likely to be abused because their mind is not any more grown but you know they're they have to exist out in the world there's our happy thought for the day said with much irony no but 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 one of the things you know I, I keep harping on is how how those of us outside of a culture make connections into the culture and these are the these are the these are the things we need to to connect dots for people you know that's like this you can learn about that by watching this like this this whole series of film films has made me think about what childhood is and like we came at it from parenting as a theme but it's also what what is childhood and you know when are you afforded the you know those protections of childhood that we that we think children should have one of the things i have recognized from watching these movies is also for parents education for the child is a way to sort of extend childhood and and ensure that the next generation gets to also you know, the, their grandchildren get to extend their childhood as much as possible because the, 
more successful you as a parent are, it means you can protect your child in a way that extends their childhood. Yeah, I would agree. That sounds like a good place to to wrap things up today, unless you have any other closing thoughts. Yeah, I felt like this was a very disjointed, partly because I was thinking about parenthood in this, uh, in all these movies, but a lot of these movies are also from the perspective of the child. So there's a, there's almost a, except for Salt Mango Tree, which was only from the perspective of the parent. So I was trying, I was trying to like decide what to center when I'm talking. <laughs> no, I think, I think it, uh, I mean, maybe because I had sort of these ideas solidified in my head that I'd be looking at, at different types of parenting. I could see them in all the films, even 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 if the film was from the perspective of the child. I mean, I don't I mean, children and parents, we cannot disconnect one from the other. Yeah, I and uh, of all of these, you know, I think all of these movies are would be fine for children to watch, except for Nuto Nichodengo. Manjariku, um, especially, I don't know if kids are going to pick up that element of caste that is very important in the in the story, which I think is what adults would pick up if they are sensitive enough to. I think. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.